Welcome to the first ever live version of Open Door Policy Podcast. Welcome to our guests and our uh, those in our audience here. Oh, there my parents are in the back too. So welcome to my parents too. Um, yeah, okay. the center's holding down the fort in the middle. And our guest. Tim, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, yep. we're happy to have you. So Tim Glemkowski is the uh, co-founder, the founder and president of LALTO uh, Catholic Institute. He's also a co-founder of Revive, which is a new apostolate, a new work he's doing to help parishes. We'll get into that a little bit later. But Tim, I know you've listened to Open Door Policy before. And you ODP. know ODP, as those in the know call it. Uh, and you know we start with uh, uh, rapid-fire questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. First question. Well, they change from season to season, so you're not prepared at all. What is your superpower? Uh, my superpower would be uh, rapid speed or, like, by location. So I could be, you know, all over Ooh. the place. It would be great. Yeah. What do you remember about church as a kid? Oh, man. <laughs> the, the I mean... Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the funny smell. I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. we went to kind of an older parish. <laughs> okay. The priest didn't wear deodorant. Or, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, we can't sorry. get into explaining right. yet. What was the last live performance you saw, Tim? The last live performance? Yeah, game uh, or or uh, concert or play. Yeah, it would have been a game. We took our kids to the Colorado, the the Denver, or like the Rockies game. Uh, last so baseball, baseball. Right? Yep. Okay. Oh, thanks for clarifying. <laughs> yes, the Rockies. Yeah. That sports, Danielle. So, what scent elicits an immediate memory other than weird smelling church? What scent? What smell elicits um, an immediate memory? Oh, you know, like I think, I think kind of similarly, maybe in a similar genre is. We, we were really close with both my sets of grand my grandparents, so their houses like they're like there's mm-hmm. there's something about that that just like comes back to me and yeah. super nostalgic. Yeah. Would you rather have it a hundred degrees and humid or negative ten below? Gosh, neither. I mean, Denver is very. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an yeah, option. Yeah. One I'd, or the other, friend. I'd rather be hot than cold. I do. Right. Not, I don't. I don't like love winter. Yep. <clears throat> okay. What are you praying for these days? Um, I would say, oh my gosh, uh, this has to be a rapid fire question. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I would say like um, detachment, just to, like a, um, an ability to be kind of like swept along by the Lord and trust, you know, that he's just kind of just letting God lead and, and kind of the ability to take my hands off the rain a little bit. And, and back to live performance, but what was the first one you saw? Uh, well, this is I the mean, first concert. Sorry, the first concert. This is the, back in in the late '90s. There were some of these like concerts where they would have like a bunch of different acts, like Bewitched and 98 Degrees, and like they would all come together degrees. from like the like yeah. the Disney Channel. And when I, I was like in like third grade, and my parents took us to like one of these concerts, me and like my older sister, and that's embarrassing, but that's the, was that's it the honest degrees? truth. Yeah, the, the that's like that's like who it was. It was oh, like okay. yeah, yeah. Nine, it was like nine and like bewitched and the, like, but there was like a bunch of them. They're like ten different groups yeah. and. I can't believe I admitted that on on, this, <laughs> on a camera. It's okay. What was the most beautiful church you've ever visited? I think St. Peter, like St. Peter's okay. in Rome. In like, Rome, I mean, yeah. You know, if we're being just like objectively, yeah. I mean that you can't beat that. And lastly, Tim, what class could you teach? Oh my gosh! I mean, um, anything in in this area that we love to talk about, anything that would be like missiology or evangelization or catechesis or um, anything that would be about the practical, you know, making disciples kind of that would be, I'd love to teach. The other classes would be like I would do something on like the Lord of the Rings and and mm. stuff, or on the history of the Chicago Bulls. Like wow, the, 
Well, awesome. good work. You made it through all ten. I made it so through. We're gonna did. we're gonna circle back and talk about just like a few of these. Um, yeah. What what smell in the church? What's the weird church smell? I don't know what that means. You know, so we, it was, it was, so I, I grew up going to a parish that was a little bit older and it had kind of that, a little bit of that musty mothballs oh, kind of like okay. thing. Um, yeah. They eventually built a new church and now it's, you know, big and, and, and beautiful and everything, but there's something about, I can like just still remember, you know, walking in there and yeah. yeah and you've been to St. Peter's Rome. Was that a one-time thing or have you been multiple times? Yeah, I've only been, so we did, so I, I, I'm a Steubenville graduate. Okay. So, um, uh, they have that undergrad, that, that um, right. study abroad program in Austria. Austria. So you're mm-hmm. based like outside of Vienna. And then the, the school, the whole class, there's about 150 students studying there, takes a trip to, to Rome in Assisi. And Assisi was amazing too. The yeah. Basilica of St. Francis there was like one of the most life-changing. But um, so yeah, so we were there for, over the, for like a few days and I went to St. Peter's a, a couple times. They did like the Scavi tour oh, underneath yeah. to see St. Peter's Bones and, and everything. Have you so. been to Rome? I have, yeah. I don't know if I'd put St. Peter's as the most beautiful church I've been to, though. Interesting. There are, like, really beautiful churches here in Detroit, I think, are really beautiful. But I know Danielle's walked the Camino. Coming to uh, Santiago de Compostela is pretty awesome. Oh, cool. At the end of the Camino in Spain. Um, I don't know. Like... I can't think of an answer to that. Okay, Danielle, what, you, what's your most beautiful church? Wait, I can't tell it because that's going to come out this season. Okay. Spoiler. Right. Okay. So, um, but I would say, okay, pretend you guys, for some reason, you were on a flight with a best friend and you were going like, and you had, you were supposed to fly straight to Detroit, but for some reason, and you were coming not from Italy, you were coming from Poland or something and you landed in Rome like accidentally. And they were like, okay, you have... You have this small amount of time to see St. Peter's. Where would you take someone in, like, what, what do they need to see in the Basilica? Because you couldn't take forever in the Basilica. Father, right. I think you would, yeah. No so matter. I haven't been there a lot. I've been there twice in St. Peter's. And I think seeing as you walk in to your right is the uh, Pieta. And mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome. I mean, that's just so beautiful to see Our Lady holding, you know, her son who she's given to the world. She's also received off of the cross her faith, her trust, and like Jesus being completely in her hands. I, you know, I think about that when I think of, I make the Marian consecration every year. Yeah. And I just think about how like Mary is always giving us to Jesus. So if it, we just had a little bit of time, I would just bring him to the Pieta and just say, just hang out here and look at this beautiful statue. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say, you? Tim? Yeah, I think that's a good answer. I think, yeah, that was one of those moments where there were, like, certain there's certain things where, like, that was one of those where I'm standing in front of it, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, like, that's actually the Pieta. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Michelangelo, right? Yep. Like, I, it was, yep. like, one of those, you just couldn't even believe that you were there kind right. of looking at it moments. And, and it is. It's so beautiful. It's so amazing. Like, it's one of those things. Like, I've noticed the same thing. We do a lot of hiking in Denver, and we'll always text, like, pictures to, like, my mom and dad to be like, we did a great hike today. Look at this beautiful view. And you take the picture, and then you see it. Right. And, and it's, it's, like, like never as good. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, you can still see that there's mountains there, but well, you can't see it in person. And I always felt the same thing with the Pieta. Like, seeing it in person was, like... You've seen pictures. It's amazing. Yeah. But seeing it there was like, whoa. It was yeah. kind of kind of. This is church here. history in real. Yeah. That's really so, cool. I, I just want to ask any anyone in our audience, have any of you seen 98 Degrees in concert before? <laughs> <laughs> so we got, I think, yeah, Christina, Christina and Mac. Yeah. All right. So All right. two people here have seen 98 Degrees in concert. Where are my millennials at? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, Tim yeah. and Christina. Okay, great. Cool. Um, thanks, thanks so much. Well. Yeah. Let's talk about your testimony, Tim, yeah. because yeah. like you're you're a guy who's worked for the church in a number of different capacities. Like, 
what first kind of helped you fall in love with the Lord and, and give your life to him and want to not just make it a career and, and part of what you do, but really make it your vocation and mission to bring people to Christ? Thanks. Yeah, that, I mean, that in a lot of ways is the question, right? Um, that, that, like, it all flows from that initial um, encounter, everything that we do. And um, so for me, I, I grew up in a pretty good, I'm from Chicago, grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and grew up in a pretty good Catholic family. So I would say I was like a pretty well-formed kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, like I knew a lot of the catechetical answers and we were like a daily rosary kind of family, mm-hmm. you know, and um, my parents actually had like their own personal conversion when I was about eight or nine years old through a program called Curcio. Oh, yeah. um, was real big for them, mm-hmm. if anyone. Yeah. So they, so they had this huge, and I remember they came back from this retreat and I was like, what happened to mom and dad? You know? Wow. Like, uh, and I remember, like, good what happened to mom and dad, or like, a little bit of both. If <laughs> yeah. we're being honest. We, had to, we had to start going to church a lot more, like, every Sunday, you more know. More musty smells. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so, you know, in a lot of ways, like, the deepening of their conversion led to us being a more Catholic family in terms of Catholic identity. Um, and for me, I joke sometimes that maybe it happening when I was like eight or nine, it was like just too late for me to, for it to really take. Or something like that. So I, I really, I felt like I understood Catholicism from the inside to a degree. But um, at the same time, my, my heart had just never been really arrested for, for Christ. And so um, for me... It was an experience at a Steubenville conference, which is why I chose to go to school there eventually. Just um, the, the first night of the, of the conference heard like a really beautiful proclamation of the gospel, and it just kind of ripped me open. Um, and the whole next day, I remember the conference, I was just like, I just like partied a lot in high school and played football and whatever, you so, know? So you were a high schooler here? At the time, we, this yeah. was a Steubenville High School. That's right, oh, gotcha. high school yeah. conference. Yeah. Youth, these youth conferences that they have, exactly. So, and my parents forced me to go. Yeah. You know, my mom shoves me on the bus, and I'm like dreading it the whole way there. And shout um, out to all the parents forcing their kids. I have to a do friend, not a bad thing, who has a vocation, and his mom paid him a hundred dollars to go on a retreat. <laughs> it's like, so yeah, yeah. We to all me, been there. It was just yeah. I mean, I hated it at the yeah. time, but it was it probably was very good parenting. So. Um, and, and it was, it was finally, you know, I went to confession that day and I thought my, you know, my sins are just going to blow this priest away. Right. he never met anyone as bad yeah. and edgy as me. And, uh, you know, he just absolved you from your sins. And I remember I went and prayed, uh, for a while and was like, what if this is real? Mm-hmm. You know, like what if the, yeah. what it, what, like it, it, just the thought occurred to me almost in a moment of like, I've, I've learned about this all the, like growing up. And I guess I never really stopped to ask that question almost sure. like, but what if it's true? What does that mean for my life? And, and so that, that, that night in adoration, I kind of opened my heart to the Lord and just said, like, if you're real, I'm, I'm open, you know, and, and made this kind of thing. And, you know, I, it's probably it's some somewhat ineffable from there, hard to describe, but really for the first time, um, encountering a God who was real and who was, um, active and, and alive in me. And, um, it just shattered me, just absolutely shattered me. So that was probably like the seminal moment that I always go back to. It's actually funny. This is kind of a weird thing, but I went back after that conference and like totally fell back into my old way of life yeah. for like a whole year. Um, and then, so it's almost like, it's, it's funny because sometimes we wonder, you know, we do these experiences and doesn't really change anybody. I definitely fell back, but something had changed in me. Uh-huh. It, there was a, a go, you know, a, a restlessness in me that I eventually led to then. Um, I had just one, one Tuesday morning, I, I woke up and um, my parish had daily confessions, um, which I knew about. And I remember just waking up and, and it was after a party. And so I was a little bit, you know, kind of bleary eyed. And uh, I remember looking in the mirror and being like, like, that's, that's it. I, like, I can't live this way anymore. I'm so empty. Um, God is, what I, is, has shown me so much more than this. And I just went to confession, and the rest is kind of history. So, um, yeah, for me, that's kind of what it all goes back to, is that, that last year of high school. 
Wow. And here you are today. And you li- so you grew up in Chicago, but now you're in Denver. Mm. What are you doing there? Because you started oh, yes. a ministry. Yeah. Yeah. An apostolate. Mm-hmm. An apostolate. Yeah. <laughs> one, the, one could say. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we love long, long church words. But... Um, and, the, and our own words, right? Words that no one else uses. Yeah, like yeah. no one is saying apostolate other right. than Catholic. Right, right. We love it. We love it. That's how you know it's Catholic. If exactly. no one, if no one, yeah. yeah. So um, the uh, yeah. So for me, I, I really think I think the core conviction to me is that we're we're entering into this new apostolic age where it's a new apostolic moment for the church. In a lot of mm-hmm. ways, the Christendom. Um, moment, you know, especially in the culture that we're living in, is coming to an end. And so, um, in a lot of ways, I think there's been some great movements and and uh, and and different ecclesial communities and things that have really been about this call to the new evangelization. So that's which that's how I interpret John Paul's call to the new evangelization is just how does the church exist and act in this moment of cultural okay. change? And um, and to me, there began to burn in me. I, I you know studied theology and, and all and all this stuff, and there began to burn in me the sense that if this was really going to happen, though this new apostolic age was going to become normative Catholicism instead of just extraordinary Catholicism happening somewhere else, that it had to exist in the parish. Um, And so I worked at a couple different parishes and kind of director evangelization roles and then started Lalto while I was still working in a parish just as a way to say, you know, as I was seeing more pastors and and parishes wrestling with these questions of like, how do we do this culture change thing? Just wanting to be a resource and a support for them in that. Um, And now it's my full-time works, which has brought us back out to Denver now um, since, you know, I've been full-time running Lalto since um, December 17, 2017. So. So, so, Tim, talk a little bit about that distinction you make between a Christendom time yeah. and an apostolic age. Uh, because I, I think lots of us, you know, you talk about the family you were raised in, and I know lots of us here raised in really strong families, but others kind of came to the church in a different way. Can you explain the difference between a Christendom age and an apostolic age? Yeah, so, you know, the, the early church, right, is, a, is the original kind of apostolic moment where the overall culture is generally not supportive of Christian belief and practice, right? Like, yeah. you could say that you know, the Colosseum is a good example of that, right? <laughs> so, Wait, you mean when they're making Christians fight lions? Yeah. That's not a strong Christian culture. Not supportive, yeah. Okay. yeah right. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for that illustration. A little dark okay. humor for okay. you, yeah. So, um, you know, so there, so in that in that moment, the the church is really this what you know what the what the the soul is to the body, the church is to the world. Then, in, in you know, called to kind of go outward, and then this cultural moment kind of developed where which we call Christendom, which is where the overall culture picked up a lot of the attitudes and beliefs, and even a lot of the things that our culture believes in, like human dignity, yeah. are, are Christian concepts right. that really were adopted then by the overall culture as like, uh, oh, this is a good thing that we should all, you know, kind of ascribe right, to. Because you look at some of the kind of Roman practices where if they had a child they didn't want, they would just expose that child, put the child out in the woods, right? Mm-hmm. And say, like, we, we don't want this child. Or there would be lots of of um, removal of people who are sick or, or maybe handicapped in some way, uh, like extricate them from society instead of acknowledging the human dignity that every individual has. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. And so you know, there's this epistle to Diognetus, which is one of these like early church documents, and yeah. it talks about this is what distinguishes the Christians is this right. remarkable way of life that's so countercultural um, and it's different, and it, and it compelled people to say what's going on here. So then it becomes more like baked into the culture, where mm-hmm. I would say almost think of it in terms of, like pressures. Are the pressures pushing inward toward the church and toward maybe more generally just you know. 
Christian religion or are the cultural pressures pushing away from it? And so there's always been sin and there's always been brokenness. And, but but what, what distinguishes like a cultural moment or the, the fundamental attitude of the church is how it stands in relation to the overall culture. Right. So we, we kind of, there's nothing like necessarily wrong with Christendom. It's kind of a good thing in a lot of ways that it supports, you know, Catholic life and practice, but it's just not the cultural moment we're in anymore. I think people have, some sociologists have noted that, um, you know, millennials, the much maligned millennial generation, right, with our expensive coffees and, um, you know, avocado toast, are the first, um, we're the first post-Christian, like full, like we were raised in a post-Christian culture. And that's one of the reasons you're seeing some of the statistics you are with millennials is there's really nothing keeping them in the church actively. So unless we radically propose the gospel to each individual, we we can't presuppose it anymore in terms of practice. Yeah. All the support of the culture, society, neighborhoods, even schools, a lot of that has been washed away. And now if someone's going to choose to be a disciple of Christ, they have to be, as Sherry Waddell says, intentional disciples, right? They have to be really intentional about choosing to follow Christ. It's not just going to be something where they've inherited from their parents and they can kind of go along and be swept up in the Christian culture that helps them live a virtuous life. So one thing that's interesting about, um, I guess maybe people who would be listening today is I would, I would think that many who are listening, they're not maybe in positions of leadership. Like, so what does, what would you say to, you know, a Catholic who's in, who like, let's say average plus, right? Goes to mass on Sunday there. What would you say to them? Who's like, maybe in this situation, maybe some of their family's fallen away. Maybe their parish isn't super dynamic. Maybe someone who's come to the parish day of renewal. Maybe. Is that, is that uh, what you're talking about? That, those <laughs> so people are raising their hands in yeah. the audience. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do we do? <laughs> I think that's the, the, the right question because I think sometimes, so like, I operate in the professional church world, right. right? I work with a lot of people who are in professional ministry and stuff, and I think one of the... Uh, <laughs> As you point to the priest, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you do this professionally? Okay. Is this, like, your job? Yeah. <laughs> um, so... There, there, there can be almost this sense, I think, when we hear words like parish renewal right. or whatever, where it's like, oh, good, someone else is taking care of the problem. Right. But yeah. I think the difference between just parish renewal, where we're trying to do parish life slightly better, or parish renewal in what the Unleash the Gospel letter talks about is this, like, cultural moment we exist in is a totally different prospect where I really see, I mean, even the church has been prophetically calling this for this a long time. Like, the, the, you know, the priest's job is to sanctify the lay, the lay faithful, and, and then the lay faithful's job is to go out and sanctify the entire world. Like, the, whatever moment there was for the laity to be passive observers, even in a, a renewal process, that, that's not what we're looking at anymore. So right. I would say it's not even like, it's not even so much the question wouldn't even be, what can the laity do? But it's like, can we afford for them to not do anything? You know, like that's yeah. the only way renewal is going to happen is if we, the lady, take seriously the call to holiness, to community, and to mission. Like, unless we grab hold of those three principles and figure out dynamically and creatively how to bake them into our lived experience as disciples, like our church, it doesn't matter what we in the professional church world do. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's the end goal of everything. Right. Uh, And that's the genius of the Second Vatican Council is this call to holiness that everyone has, right? Not just those with collars or those that wear habits, but everyone has this call to holiness. And so, you know, historically it talks about the time it takes for a council to be, like, really lived is a half century to a century for a council to take root in the life of a church. And I think we're still figuring out how to live what the Second Vatican Council calls us to. Mm -hmm. It, You know, there's a beauty in the role that the laity play during the Mass and at, like, actively at the parish. 
But the real call for the laity is to take the gospel and to bring it into their families, their workplaces, their neighborhoods, to bring the beauty of the faith out into the world rather than just saying, how can I do more things at the church? It's how can I be equipped to then be the leaven of the gospel that God wants me to be, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Yeah, like I, I would add, like I, I think it, it, it's it's almost like we, we want practicals and, and we need them, but I think almost like the point we're at as a church right now as we're in this transition moment from Christendom into a more apostolic age again is I'd almost like to just hold out for people the kind of the timeless principles that we, that we should be striving for and almost invite people to creatively and dynamically uh, figure out how to do that. Like, that's what I would almost say is like, I don't want to so much say, I mean, we can talk about, you know, you, you can grow communities in your houses sure. and pray together and all those different things. I mean, I think that's kind of some of what it looks like is us starting to gather and pray and, and, and be on mission and invite other people into, into our lives. But I think more than anything, that's what I've really come to, to start enjoying doing is just saying, this is what it has to have. It has to have holiness. You know, it has to have a, a real prayer, a, a depth mm-hmm. of prayer with the Lord. It has to have authentic and vulnerable community. And it has to have a radical orientation toward mission. And what that looks like, I'd almost love to say, well, like, you were baptized. So I, I ask the Holy Spirit. You, right. You, do you yeah. know? Yeah. And that's, yeah. and like, in some ways that's scarier, but it's more beautiful too. Yeah. You know, because you're like, well, what's God going to say? Well, yeah. <laughs> and that's the diversity that Sister Miriam has talked right. about these past couple of days at our parish day of renewal is like, you are the only, like, you are the unique flower that God has planted in his garden. And you have mm-hmm. a mission that no one else can do, right? So what God has asked you to do is going to look completely different than what he's asked me to do, your neighbor, your spouse, your friends, that God has a specific mission for you. And so he's going to ask you to do something unique that no one else can do. Tim, um, I know that it, like, you're, you're writing these things Um, and sometimes it's hard to go through all of this information and like read numbers and like what marriage rates are and what they used to be and all that stuff. What, what is inspiring you though? Still, what's giving you hope? Like, what are you looking at? And you're like, oh, but there's still good in this. Yeah, I think, um, for sure. Like even in some, some senses, I do think it's important for us to note the cultural, like some of the discouraging trends almost just speak to like what people experience anyway. Cause we look around and we're like, we feel that we sense it as we go and we're, but, but in reality, like the, um, it's been amazing. Like there's so much good stuff already happening. Um, like there's so many pockets of renewal. I, I do get to travel a fair amount and I see pockets of renewal everywhere. Like this group here is a group that's gathered together, wrestling with these questions together. There are similar groups wrestling with these questions all over the country. And I see a core solidifying that really wants to be part of the solution. And it's not just happening in, in one corner of the world. Like it really is happening everywhere. So it's, it's still maybe in bud form or in, or in seed form. In other places, it's more mature. I think, you know, Southeast Michigan was like some of the great things. You know, I was just talking to somebody about some of the stuff that was happening at the, the seminary in 2006 that was kind of along these lines. And it's like, there has been, uh, there's a, I think, a, a particular anointing, not to just flatter you all, but like a particular no, anointing. Go, go uh, ahead. You can bring on the flattery. In yeah, a particular we'll way on Father Stephen Pullis and yeah, his leadership. Thank you. But, so, but the, like, there, God is, um, I think the, this area and this diocese, our diocese in particular, are, are, 
God is using as an example. I think the election of Archbishop Vigneron as the vice president of the USCCB right. is an example of that. His brother bishops have noticed that in many ways this archdiocese is leading a charge to show other places around the world what it could look like. And to me, that's an example that people are noticing mm-hmm. um, around the country. So there is like a lot of hope. Like this is giving some of the reason this book exists is because there's a hunger for people asking, well, how? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's this, this book isn't the first book coming out there saying like, hey, there's a problem. Right. What this is is about is like, here's, as people are starting to wrestle towards so- solutions, here are some things you can do. And the, so the fact that there's even a, a, a hunger for this shows how far along in the conversation we've already come in the last 10 years or so. So, right. so Tim, your book is called Made for Mission, Renewing Your Parish Culture. And it just came out in September, was it? Uh, it was actually a little later than that, so I, it just released. It, it, it's, it's a long story with different book publishers and all this it's stuff, like but it's really recent. New. Yeah, yeah, it's brand spanking new. Yeah, yeah. and there's Put something your hands else. together. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so we just have a couple of minutes left. I want to ask you about uh, this project called Revive that you're working on. That yes. you're one of the co-founders of. Yes. That's a parish initiative to help change parish culture as well too, right? Yeah, so in a lot of ways, you know, my personal story, I think we'd all tell the story a little different, um, but my, my personal story with Revive is I've spent the last few years working with parishes all around the country who are attempting this question of renewal, and they want to understand what to do differently, and as I've worked with them and engaged with them, I've realized that there is, is a call for creativity and, and new skills and, mm. and solutions in every area of parish life. You know, the way that we do everything from stewardship and fundraising to discipleship and evangelization to women's ministry mm-hmm. and youth ministry. And like, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an all, you know, full-scale effort to really bring renewal in all those areas. And a lot of pastors are really asking the question of, well, how do we get trained on this? Right. You know, how do we, and especially a, an average parish might have, you know, maybe 15 staff people and then they've got yep. 100 catechists and they've got 200 greeters and they've got, there's all these different leaders that need to be mobilized for mission. How do we form them? How do we train them? Events like this are great. And then what our platform does is we went out to all the experts in each of those areas, and we said, could you teach like a a three-hour deep dive course into this critical skill area Mm -hmm. so that, you know, really personally coaching parishes through it. So Mark Hart teaching youth ministry and Chris Stefanik teaching evangelization and Julianne Stans, who's a consultant to USCCB teaching discipleship. And And Father Mike Schmitz. I've been watching the Father Mike Schmitz one on preaching and it's awesome. It's a great resource, very practical, but also deep roots about what we're actually, what the goal of preaching is meant to be as a priest or as a deacon. Yeah, and so that the goal was to make it as accessible and easy for parishes to use yeah. as possible to train all of their leaders in all those areas. So it's it's a it's an online platform, you know, video based courses with different downloadable resources to kind of guide you through. And um, and yeah, they're really they're beautifully shot. Um, it's a really exciting project to have been a part of that I think is going to be something that can kind of help every parish, um, no matter where they're at, take the next steps forward. Because um, I really do think parish renewal depends on renewed leaders. Like there is no parish renewal without the renewal of leaders. And so that's what this platform is really uh, aimed at doing. So it's exciting. That's awesome. That's great. Tim, all of our guests, before we uh, wrap up, we always ask them if they have a final word they want to share with our listeners, our live audience here, and all those who are going to listen through uh, the podcast platform. Any final word you want to share? Yeah, I think uh, that's a good question. I think one of the things that I've been really convicted about and sharing recently, because, you know, uh, especially with the book, having different conversations with people and stuff, is every, all of these questions, the, the very first thing, like Sister Miriam was kind of talking about today, the very first thing in all of this is letting the Lord love you. Mm-hmm. Um, God's love is transformative. It's powerful. It's personal. Uh, it's intimate. 
and it and it like the fire of God's love is what creates Mother Teresa wasn't just a slightly more well-behaved person she was somebody who was radically renewed in the grace of Jesus Christ and her witness to the world was undeniable like you can't look at that and say anything except something different has happened here the resurrection of Jesus Christ I look at Mother Teresa and I think God must have risen from the dead I guess mm-hmm. um, so I, I think in a lot of ways that's where it begins for all of us is in that personal renewal uh, project. Amen. Thank you so much. And thanks to our audience for being here. Thanks for having me. Before we say goodbye, if you liked this episode, please share it with your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your Trader Joe cashier. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Open Door Detroit. Help us unleash the gospel. Open Door Policy was produced by Ron Pangborn and the creative team of the Archdiocese of Detroit. We love long, long church words. Words that no one else uses. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy.